0: This is Hello everyone Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. For today's episode, we'll be talking about Russia invading Ukraine. I have meant to get this episode out previously. It took a little bit longer than I originally thought. I might have gotten too much information for this episode, but we're going to figure it out here momentarily. First, I kind of want to set up the expectations for this episode. Uh, If you are a new listener, welcome to the podcast. If you're a subscriber, welcome back. Uh, We're, I'm not going to do so much of a deep dive into everything that's been going on in, in uh, Ukraine. I'm sure that plenty of you have been keeping up with the news. You probably know quite a bit about what's been happening on the ground in Ukraine since Russia invaded. So I think the focus of this episode is going to be what led up to this invasion. And then essentially what is happening now, as far as the, as far as, you know, Russia, Ukraine, the West, And then what I think will happen next and what, you know, like we like can and should do from here. So first and foremost, you know, we're going to set the stage a little bit, just give a a little bit of like basic information on what's been going on. Russia, you know, indeed, like launched a full scale invasion into Ukraine. This is about a week ago now. Um, This is after amassing over one hundred and fifty thousand troops at Ukraine's border. They've been attacking from all sides, the north, the east, the south, the northeast. Uh, First, they went in and they destroyed military installations so that the Ukrainian military cannot really fight back. And then they started also to try to occupy major cities like Odessa, Kharkiv. And as of right now, they are sending a convoy towards the capital of Kiev, uh, which as of right now, as I'm recording, this has not encircled the city as of yet so and I I think actually also as of yesterday Russia has officially captured the first major city uh and at any point if I if you are someone who is familiar with the Russian language or if you are from that area Russia Ukraine and I'm mispronouncing stuff uh forgive me I do not know how to pronounce some of these cities uh so the city of Kherson. Was the first big capture? It's a port city down, uh, like right off of the Crimean uh, peninsula. So it seems as though Russia has finally fully captured a city. And you know, places like the Washington Post, CNN, so on and so forth, they've been showing kind of Russia's advances over the last couple of um, few days here. And it seems like as as the days go on, even though Ukraine is holding back the Russian military as of right now which is way more than anyone really expected from them a week into this, um, Russia has still been slowly gaining more and more ground as the week has gone on. And I, I think most people kind of expect with Russia's military being one of the top three most powerful militaries in the world that they will inevitably take Ukraine, just kind of a matter of how long more or less, but the UN has confirmed that at least 240 civilians have died so far. That was stats as of yesterday. Ukraine's government is saying that the number is actually over 2,000 civilians, uh, but that is disputed. This is also while saying that 2,800 soldiers, uh, Ukraine, Ukrainian soldiers have died and Russia claims that to have lost 500 soldiers, but again, that's being disputed. Um, Ukraine's claims they have actually killed many more russian soldiers uh so russia is currently attempting to like lock down all of these major like cities and the goal from what intelligence is saying that the goal is to get to kiev capture the current president zelensky and zelensky believes that himself and his family are going to be either abducted or killed by Putin's forces. So when they eventually do get into the capital, uh, the president Zelensky is currently bunkered in Kyiv. So how did we really get up here? And, and that's honestly what I wanna to try to explain first. Cause I, I think that was where I wanted to wrap my attention into this. Because when you hear about a nuclear power, like Russia invading an, another like sovereign country, the first thing that really came to my mind is why, you know, I mean, obviously there was a why, but you're know, like, what is it? And, you know, and who exactly kind of like provoked this? Was it just Russia or was, or was Russia provoked as they claim? So let's kind of just dive into this a little bit here. I'm going to, try to explain some of the history between these two nations, but for the sake of not making this a four hour podcast, I'm going to have to gloss over some details, but I'll try to point out. What those are as we're going along here. So, first thing that you got to, you know, have to address is the right before the invasion, Putin gave a speech to the entire nation of Russia. During that speech, he made a lot of claims. And, you know, some of them I'm going to talk about right now, others we'll circle back to later. First thing that Putin said, was that he was going to recognize these two areas of Ukraine in their eastern regions as their own sovereign states. Uh, And again, I might be mispronouncing these, but they're known as Donetsk and Luhansk. Uh, These places have been involved in a civil war inside of Ukraine for the last eight years. Now, Russia claimed that it was sending in troops into these regions as peacekeepers, because there are lots of people who live in that area who are ethnically Russian. And there have been a lot of casualties on you know, on both sides, uh, both uh, Ukrainian uh, military members and the rebels uh, who, are, who are separatists, who would like for those areas of Ukraine to be separated from Ukraine itself. And due to that fact, there has been bombings on both sides, uh, civilians being killed. It, it's been a pretty bloody war, all things considered. Um, but yes, Putin said that the reason that he was doing this in the first place was to go in there as a peacekeeping operation and to save these ethnically Russian people. Now, the next thing that you want going to have to know about this: this area is also referred to as the Donbas, and this is this war, as I was saying, has been going on since 2014, and it started. After a after the current president of Ukraine, who was pro like Moscow, was ousted by protesters, uh, their protests had been going on in Ukraine for several months up to this. I'm actually going to have a link to some of that information in the description because there's a whole story behind why they were protesting and what led up to the protesters essentially taking over the capital and ousting uh, that current president. Uh, but not long after that, a new president came into effect into Ukraine, who was a lot more pro like, you know, Western nations, pro U.S. Uh, but right after that, with, within a couple of weeks of this of this Ukrainian revolution and the pro Moscow uh, president being ousted from the capital in Kiev, that was when these pro-Russian separatists. sort of popping up in eastern ukraine they sort of protesting they seized some government buildings and the ukrainian military kind of moved in to stabilize the region but over the course of the last eight years again they have not been able to stabilize it they've been in a, a constant fight since that time another one of the claims that was also made by putin in kind of in relation to this ukrainian civil war that's been going on for eight years is that the current regime in the ukraine is just a like puppet state of the United States and of the West. And, and he points to this because, you know, like during this Ukrainian civil war, uh, the Ukraine has been getting a lot of aid from the US, including a uh, lethal aid, which is a, a new t- uh, phrase that's being thrown around quite a bit during this conflict. The US has indeed been sending arms and munitions and weapons uh, to the Ukraine in order to fight this civil war. At the same time, Russia has been sending in their own arms and aid into this war. Also only on the behalf of the, the separatists in Eastern Ukraine. So essentially this, not only was this Ukrainian civil war taking place, but both the U S and Russia were both essentially helping one side or the other in more or less a proxy war fashion. So this, you know, like this region is also the home to many who were once like part of Russia, so Russia claims that it has, you know, a, a stake in this area because, you know, up until 1991, Ukraine, you know, as a whole was, you know, like, uh, was a state of the Soviet Union, you know, so there are a lot of people in this area who see themselves not as Ukrainian, but as Russian. So it's actually, it's a very complicated situation, but, you know, like over this eight year period, 14,000 people in this region have died. Uh, you know, including civilians, um, you know a lot on both sides, which Russia has taken many opportunities to air the carnage on state TV as some of you have actually reached out and talked to me about as people back in Russia will be seeing you know people who they consider to be their family, their fellow Russians being killed in eastern Ukraine. and there has been outrage about it. So there is some sentiment back in Russia that Ukraine has been, if not just outright an aggressive force um has been some kind of a, has been very negligent in how they've been carrying out this this attack against these pro russian separatists so it's actually a very like convoluted situation in that area i will point out that things aren't exactly how they seem uh in eastern ukraine it do, it does seem as though there is actually a little bit extra going on behind the scenes but we'll get to that in a little bit here you know when i when we talk about why Putin, you know, like might be going into this area, the question for me, like, was it really all about peacekeeping? Was Putin really just trying to go into Ukraine to essentially stop this, this war that was happening in eastern Ukraine? Is, is that really his whole goal here? So back in 2014, uh, there was actually the Daily Beast was able to interview one of these rebel leaders in Donetsk. And asked him about, you know, essentially, you know, how do people feel in that area about Putin's involvement and whether or not Russia was doing enough to help these pro-Russian separatists actually fight back against Ukraine. And one of the leaders who spoke to the Daily Beast said that Putin losing this war on the territory that he personally calls or that he personally named New Russia would threaten the Kremlin's power and Putin's. So there was a little bit of a hint here that Putin may have had more interest in this area, other than just maybe just a humanitarian. This might also just be a pride issue for him. You know, he's known throughout his country as being this strong leader, this strong man. And if he says that these new, like these new areas of Eastern Ukraine are essentially new Russia, then he's kind of tied himself to the outcome in this area. So- On top of this war going on for eight years, Russia uh, was also issuing passports to people up to about 500,000 in this area. So essentially making more and more of these people like officially Russian, which will come into play a little bit later on. But not only that, but also sending in his own troops to help in this region all along. There were some estimates that were saying that of the separatist army, up to 50 to 60% of them were actually from Russia itself. They weren't even uh, separatists from Eastern Ukraine. So one more thing that I'm gonna wanna just note here again, is that this whole time this was going on, Russia was spending lots of time uh, airing all of the carnage and the chaos on state TV back in Russia. And Putin has almost complete control over state TV. So the narrative is always exactly the way he wants it to be and it says what he wanted to say, he has pretty like solid grip over over RT, you know, and other other state broadcasts within the country itself. So if you are wondering how exactly it was playing out back in the country, basically, you know, Russia was painting this as, you know, Ukrainians were the aggressors and Russia was going in there to save these people, uh, all the while not really telling the whole story. So fast forward, you know, back now to 2022, Putin gives that speech and he talks about the fact that he needs to go into Ukraine as a way to liberate these two, these two areas of Eastern Ukraine, which he also in that same speech declared they were independent states. He said that they, he was recognizing those two areas independence from the rest of Ukraine. But he also said that another one of his reasons for wanting to do this was that he was afraid that Ukraine was going to join NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty, Treaty Organization, which is basically just a collection of countries, the United States, Canada, quite a few like uh, nations in Western Europe. Um, they have been uh, a military like block since the end of World War II. And they basically have an agreement that if you attack one nation, you attack all nations. So Putin has always been weary of countries, you know, in and around Russia joining NATO. And he has made it very clear over the years that he did not want these former Soviet states joining NATO, you know, as if he has control over what they do. But nevertheless, he did say that, you know, like Ukraine possibly joining NATO was just something that he could not tolerate, And so he also said that it was a matter of security because he was afraid that if Ukraine joined NATO, that there would be potentially weapons right at the border of Russia, which was something that he just seemed as a threat to Russian safety and Russian security. So from Putin's perspective, he had no choice but to invade Ukraine and protect Russians and to protect Russian sovereignty and Russian security. That is the story that Putin has painted for everyone in the world to believe about the reasons why he's doing what he's doing. So the real question is, is that really true? And is there any real pushback to his side of the story? Well, we're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, I'm gonna give you a little bit more about how I feel about this story and a little bit more information to kind of like back up why I feel this way. Stay tuned.
1: Hey, Indie Thought listeners! Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry! They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order.
0: Welcome back from the break, everyone. So let's just jump right back into it. I know I kind of glossed over the NATO angle a little bit at the end there, but I promise we're going to get back to them here a little bit further in the episode. So the next thing that we want to talk about is, did Putin really have to invade? You know, did he really have to go in there and protect the people in eastern Ukraine Uh, Did he have to take over the whole country? Like, was this really a threat to Russian people, Russian sovereignty, so on and so forth? Or was that really the motivation for all of this? So first, I want to play a quick clip that I got from a Vox video that I will have linked in the description. I think we need to learn a little bit more about Putin before we can say definitively what his motivations were here. So here's the clip.
1: Vladimir Putin has been ruling Russia since 1999. In that time, he shaped the country into an authoritarian and militaristic society. He successfully invaded two of Russia's neighbors and strengthened ties with Syria and Iran. He's intent on pushing back against the Western world order, and it appears to be working. Putin, 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 Vladimir Putin, 17 years of the most powerful man in the world to understand how one man could have such a powerful influence on this country, you need to go back to the chaos and corruption that gripped Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union. When the Berlin Wall fell, a 40-year-old Putin was working as an undercover spy in East Germany for the Soviet security agency, the KGB. The Soviet Union dissolved into 15 new countries, including the new Russian Federation. In Putin's eyes, Russia had just lost 2 million square miles of territory. He later called this a major geopolitical disaster of the century, lamenting that tens of millions of his co-patriots found himself outside Russian territory. He leaves the KGB in 1991 and becomes the deputy mayor of St. Petersburg. Putin uses his position to give special treatment to friends and allies in the private sector. He helps them structure monopolies and regulates their competitors, quickly becoming a favorite among the oligarchs. Before long, he's assembled a support network of oligarchs, crime bosses, and security officials, mostly fellow former KGB officers like he was. With their help, he rapidly ascends to the upper echelons of the new Russian state. In 1999, President Boris Yeltsin appoints Putin, still relatively unknown in national politics, to be the prime minister. A fierce nationalist, Putin feared Yeltsin was letting the US dominate Russia and that NATO, the alliance that worked for decades to contain Soviet influence, would expand into the new liberated countries and surround Russia. Putin's goal then became to build a strong Russian state, one that would be both stable at home and capable of exercising more influence over its neighbors.
0: Okay, so let's just give a quick summary of what we know about Putin. So Putin grew up in Cold War Soviet Union. So his whole life, he knew that, you know, he grew up in an area where It was very much, you know, the Russian or the Soviet Union Empire versus the evil West in the United States, so on and so forth. Then he goes and joins the military and further becomes a spy for the KGB. You know, then after the Soviet Union fell in the 19 in the early 1990s, he said the fall of the Soviet Union was the was a Major geopolitical disaster of the century. So he also said that he did not like these former like Russian territories allying with the West. So right now, it's pretty established that Putin has never liked the West. But there's more to the story. So on top of this, let's also talk about other things that have happened in and around Putin. In 2003, one of these former Soviet states, you know, Georgia, newly formed country at the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, they get a new president. Their former president was also, like Ukraine in 2014, uh, pro-Moscow. Now, their new president that comes in 2004, once again, is is more pro-West. He's more aligned with the U.S. and the Western European countries. So... What then happens afterwards, after this new president takes over, and tell me if any of this sounds familiar, pro-Russian separatists pop up in Georgia, and they start to try to declare independence from the rest of Georgia. Now, afterwards, this launched a war in Georgia. During this time, Russia was supplying aid to the Russian separatists and also was issuing Russian passports to the people in these regions. Then the Russian military got involved and ended up going to war with the country of Georgia. And then after this was all said and done, they they actually ended up occupying these two quote unquote independent regions of Georgia to which they still are occupying these areas today. So if any of that sounds familiar, It's because it's damn near the exact same story that has been playing out in Ukraine over the last eight years. The only difference being is that with this time of Ukraine, it seems though Russia's not settling for just these two independent areas. They're going for the whole damn country this time. So let's again, circle back to the speech that I referenced in the first parts of this episode. Putin's national speech that he gave uh to his whole country before going into the invasion he didn't just talk about these these two areas that he felt like he needed to send peacekeepers in he also gave quite a bit of history that was going on with the russian country and you know like gripes that he had about some of the history that was going on in russia one of the things that was notable to point out was that I, I think this first one I think was a small jab at the US but he said that he thought that Ukraine might be having weapons of mass destruction um, and, and he said it in kind of a way that seemed like it was more or less a shot at the US kind of saying like hey you use some bullshit excuse to go invade a country so why can't the rest of us uh, but just putting that to the side a little bit a very important detail here and I think it's part of the key to this whole thing Putin remarked that, Russian President Lenin, back in the year 1917, made an erroneous decision and that it was madness to give up the territory of the Russian empire. And for those who are unfamiliar, back at that time, around a century ago, Russia, as some of you I'm sure know, was a lot larger than it was today. It incorporated way more countries than it does right now. In fact, countries such as Finland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, parts of Poland, Ukraine, Moldova, and I I believe there are more in the West, were all parts of Russia. And at that time, they all basically gained their independence. Putin has said that this was in fact a giant mistake on Lenin's part. Further, he referred to these countries as illegitimate, saying that they did not have a right to exist. So the next question is, is this really a new development? Did Putin just decide he just feels like this just recently, or has he felt like this for a while? Well, let's go back again to Georgia in 2008 when he made that invasion into, into that country. You know, so he obviously had been planning that whole thing out for years prior to actually invading that country. And again, brought the exact same playbook to Ukraine in 2014, but moreover, It seems as though other people within Russia's military also kind of knew that this was eventually always going to be what happens in Ukraine. In fact, uh, right after that Ukrainian revolution, in fact, just a few days afterwards, February 20th, 2014, a retired colonel for Russia had said that the conflict in Ukraine could only be solved by force and that Ukraine had proven it could not exist as an independent sovereign state kind of laying the groundwork even then that those within the Russian hierarchy kind of always knew that this was the route they were going to go. It seems as though they've just been building up to this over the time. So as I was saying before, let's kind of get back to NATO here because people have been asking, is there really involvement here by the U.S.? Has the U.S. and other Western nations, have they been antagonizing Russia? Have they been in some ways kind of provoking Russia into this? And I will grant the fact that it's very true. The US is basically always has its nose and other and the UK and other these Western nations, they always have their nose in basically everyone else's business. that's that's very true. Uh, and I'm sure that they probably also knew that allying with these former Soviet states would probably be something that Russia did not like. However, I kind of this is just my personal analysis here. I want to tamper down the idea that these countries uh, being a part of NATO uh, is really as big of of a threat as Russia claims that they are. You know, first of all, let's just talk about what is currently already true. So Putin said that Ukraine, you know, becoming a part of NATO would somehow be a threat to national security because there would be a NATO nation who could have missiles pointing at Uh, Russia That were right on their border. However, there are already two nations that border Russia in Latvia and Estonia. And secondly, you know, like after, you know, um, Putin's invasion of Georgia, uh, his annexation of Crimea, which we didn't get a chance to talk about in this episode, or even the whole Cold War, the West has never attempted a actual hot war with Russia. I mean, there have been so many opportunities where the U.S. and Russia have clashed on some level. If the U.S. was really going to attack Russia on some level, I mean, you got to imagine it would have already happened by now, Uh, especially since, again, I mean, they already do have a NATO. They already have two NATO nations right on their border, and they're not that far away from Moscow. Uh, But with all that being said, you know. Russia has made it clear for a long time that this was something that would very much be a red line for them. So the US, you know, kind of like offering NATO membership to Latvia and Estonia, I'm sure kind of solid relationships. Uh, but at the same time, it seems as though Putin has always kind of disliked the West. So I, I don't know that, you know, things would have really been all that different had Estonia and Latvia never joined NATO in the first place. But, you know, through all this time, even though there hasn't been a hot war, I mean, Russia and the West have been engaging in economic uh, battles with each other, cyber warfare, proxy wars, including the one in eastern Ukraine. So while Russia has, you know, made clear in the past that it didn't want a NATO nation on its border, you know, the truth be told, it already has two. And that also doesn't even include the fact that we have countries like Japan and South Korea on the east where we have U.S. military permanent bases right there, which, again, are right up on Russia's border. So lastly, the last thing that really makes me kind of call bullshit on all of this is that before the invasion took place, the president, uh, Vladimir Zelensky, who is the current president of Ukraine, reached out to Russia and to the Kremlin and said that they would offer to take nato off the table and basically promised russia that they would never join nato so if that really was one of the objections it seems as though the ukrainian government was willing to appease russia enough in order to do that but that wasn't good enough that wasn't good enough and so that's that really kind of like summarizes this all for me like obviously this wasn't about ukraine not joining russia i mean not joining nato Obviously, this wasn't about just protecting the people in those regions. Obviously, this isn't just some kind of like reaction that Putin had. It's obvious that he's planned this for a very long time. Not only that, but that it is literally the exact same playbook as it was in 2008 uh, in Georgia. On top of the fact that he has openly said that he thinks of Ukraine and these other former like Soviet countries as illegitimate. And that they belong to Russia, and that Russia and Ukraine are actually one people. So, here, here's the bottom line: you know, like Putin is not responding to the Ukrainian civil war in the east. He helped create the unrest by, you know, like by you know these Russian separatists just happening to pop up right after uh, the person who he handpicked was no longer in the capital in Kiev, and then. You you set the stage for an invasion that you always knew you would do. And you gather support like back in your home country by showing carnage of the civil war on state TV. But basically what this all has been about has been wanting to restore the glory to the Russian empire. That's where this all really comes down to in my humble opinion. Now, some in America, you know, have this belief that you know like any time that the us is involved that it has to be completely our fault uh, which there's a lot of historical precedent to that i don't want to try to downplay the atrocities that we have committed as a nation and while i'm sure that we've had like influence in stoking putin's paranoia uh when it comes to nato you know at at the end of the day you know like this really i don't know that this is probably a cliche at this one because it's been said more than once but this this really does belong to Putin. At the end of the day, this is this is his war. Like he can claim that he was provoked, but I think there's enough evidence out there to prove that this isn't about being provoked. This is about some nationalist dream of a crazed dictator uh, who has just as much of imperialist ambition as other nations like the U.S. have had in the past. So, you know, I, what I'm really seeing here is that. Putin has this philosophy that if countries that were former Russian countries don't have leaders who are pro Moscow, then he's just going to go in there and just run the place over. But that's that's basically what it comes down to. He's a psychopath with a giant military and the world's largest nuclear arsenal. That it, it's it's absolutely crazy what he is doing right now. But, you know, I kind of want to make one of my last points here to some Americans out there who have this like arrogant belief that we're the only nation in the world who's actually capable of being evil and imperialistic. That is just not true. It's just not true. This is not true. Vladimir Putin, every, every bit of him wanted this war because he sees the Ukraine as his territory and he's going to take it. And honestly, I feel like at this point, it really is inevitable. Putin is a true believer in the glory of the Russian empire, and he is now trying to reform that empire. And we're going to take one more break, but when we come back, I'm going to give my final thoughts on this, on this episode and talk about what I think is going to come next and how the rest of this is going to play out. Stay tuned. welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. I want to say before we finish out the last part of this episode, if you have been liking this episode, uh, please go ahead and share it on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, tag Independent Thought. Thank you so much for helping the podcast grow and for listening to the podcast. So let's finish this out. First things first, I want to acknowledge the fact that obviously. For those who've been paying attention, that this invasion has been getting way more press coverage than any other like invasion that we've seen in a long time. Um, now some will say that you know, like that's because of the scale of this. This is the largest uh war in Europe since World War II, that and it involves a nuclear power. Uh, that is all true, but let's also just acknowledge the fact that this is not getting the same type of coverage, especially from the humanitarian sense as countries like Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Palestine, Somalia, Yemen, Pakistan, Armenia, uh, all of these countries have had have seen invasions of one form or another um, within the last like decade plus. So Obviously, there is like some element there, too, of saying like, oh, well, like Ukraine's like a white nation. And we've seen, you know, like plenty of coverage of people being like, oh, well, they just this, this isn't this is like this not a developed nation. This is, you know, these are our these are our neighbors and they they look just like us, so, you know, seeing some of those gross takes. But if, if I had to go a little bit further beyond just like that obviousness, I think this really comes down to the fact that it's Russia doing it. Uh, because of the fact that it is an adversary to the West, the coverage is so extensive because it seems as though it's it's politically convenient for our national interests trying to paint one of our adversaries in this dark light. So I think because of that, not only um, has that been like one of the main reasons for this coverage, I think it will be the main reason why you'll continue to see this coverage day in, day out. Uh, for however much longer this goes on. And for Russia, this could go on for months, for all we know. Uh, It doesn't seem like they have been in any rush whatsoever to take over this country quickly. They seem very content with dragging this out. Why? Not really sure. Again, they have one of the biggest militaries in the world. If they want to overrun that country, they can. It's just a matter of if they want to. They've obviously been slow playing it um which is terrible uh, i think it just it just i mean this whole thing is just absolutely horrific seeing people being in buildings um having artillery shells hitting their apartments people hiding in subways uh children's hospitals having to move underground uh just loss of life happening all over the place it, it's it's absolutely horrific what is going on here uh but you know I think again, one of the reasons why this is getting covered, you know, and I believe all of these countries should have this type of coverage when these type of invasions happen. But again, I think the reason why this is happening to Ukraine as far as like why they're getting this level of coverage, why these other nations have not, is because these other nations were either directly invaded by the United States or by one of our western or one of our allies. And so there is a, there's a distinct reason why you're not seeing this type of coverage that you are seeing in Ukraine right now. But let me also be very clear that all of these atrocities should be covered the same way that Ukraine is being covered. You know, this is a massive war by a by a global, like, you know, nuclear superpower, like, like Russia, like what, what they're doing in Ukraine right now is absolutely horrific. And They originally said that they were only going in there to attack military personnel and military installations, but that has evaporated within a matter of a week. They are now attacking civilians, uh, civilian like buildings, and civilians are dying, people who have nothing to do with any of this. And that's really the next thing I want to talk about here as we're wrapping this episode up. There are so many people who are now going to have to essentially either die or suffer because of the hands of imperialist Putin. Uh, Russia or Ukrainian people all over this country or all over that country are going to be killed, uh, be displaced. Uh, if they do survive, have to deal with the PTSD of living through uh, an invasion of their country. The Russian people back in Russia who wanted nothing to do with this are about to see economic like fallout, the likes of which we have maybe Ever, never seen before i mean maybe north korea but it seems like this might even be worse for them their currency is tanking uh the people back in russia i mean i, I imagine people who are like you know mid 20s mid 30s had had no desire for any of this have been protesting or openly against this war but nonetheless they're going to have to suffer because of the hands of their dictator putin on top of that russia you know now is having their there are goods and services basically being banned throughout the world, uh, which you would think would be a good thing to punish Putin. But at the same time, it's not just Putin who feels the effects of these things. You know, between Russia and Ukraine, for instance, these were uh, these were two countries that supplied, I think, like 20% of the world's wheat. So uh, that, that is, and in fact, I think Afghanistan and Egypt, I think Egypt in particular, got 90% of their wheats and bread from Ukraine and Russia. And so now there's going to be uh, spikes in food prices. There's going to be people who are going to be suffering hunger strikes. I mean, not hunger strikes, but suffering uh, from hunger, from not being able to get the food they need, which is particularly terrible for a country like Afghanistan, who since we have frozen so many of the bank accounts, of the new government in Afghanistan. People are starving in that country right now. Uh, people are selling kidneys to get food in Afghanistan. As we speak, before this even happened, people those reports of people selling their children for food in Afghanistan It is a full-on humanitarian crisis happening in that nation right now. But on top of that fact, there's also going to be uh, effects here back in the US when it comes to things like Uh, Russia apparently was a huge exporter of nitrogen, which I guess is from what I understand is a big component in agriculture, which will see an inflationary effect on our food prices back here in America. So food prices are probably going to start to go up here in our country and around the world. And then lastly, Russia was a huge exporter of gas one of the top three exporters in the world. And people have been talking about this a lot, about the climate change impacts because so many people here in America now are calling for our country to start fracking more and to start producing more oil and natural gas in order to supplement the world's losing all of the oil and gas that Russia would normally be exporting. And so I also have seen some takes on this on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, some people think that we need to just start fracking like crazy. Some people think that we shouldn't do any new fracking at all. It is a very, it is a very uh, interesting dilemma because, on one hand, as I'm sure many of you know who've listened to my podcast, I am very much for getting rid of all fossil fuels and promoting green energy. However, what I have seen just recently is that currently. We do not have the infrastructure necessary in order to transmit a bunch of new green energy, uh, which, you know, obviously the solution to that is to build that infrastructure. However, building that infrastructure would take years. Now, the reason why this becomes an issue is because there are certain countries like Germany and Italy who almost completely depend on fossil fuel energy for their nations and they were getting that from Russia. And so the question then becomes, are these countries supposed to be subjected to basically having almost no electricity in order to, uh, in order to like stop uh, the flow of Russian gas and oil? Uh, or, I mean, cause like th- that would be catastrophic for those nations. I mean, we know like for a fact here in America, what happens when a hurricane or a major storm Uh, hits like somewhere in the Gulf Coast. I mean, no electricity for a few days can be loss of life, especially in hospitals, people who are feeling a little more vulnerable. Um, So asking nations like Germany and Italy to go without electricity for however long it takes to build in the green infrastructure in order to get more renewable energy into them. I mean, we're talking about a lot of devastation that could happen for those nations in the meantime. So this is not an ideal situation. However, I think in a very short-term effect, it might actually call for more oil and natural gas production. But my my fear is that in doing so, because it is slightly necessary in the short term, that politicians will use that as an excuse to basically put building green infrastructure, green energy infrastructure on the back burner for much longer than it should The true thing that we should be doing is if we are going to try to export more oil and gas to these nations over in Europe who were relying on Russian um, oil and gas, that we do that alongside of building the necessary infrastructure that we need to continue to move towards green energy. And it has to be a both. It can't be an either or type thing, I think, right now. But more on that another day. So coming to the end of this episode, let me just say definitively, at the end of the day, this really is Putin's war. Regardless of the antagonizing that he felt from the West, it does not justify what he's done. And and, and I think deep down he knows that. He's been planning this for a long time. This is his war. He says that Ukraine and Russia are one nation, one people instead of trying to secure the area that he claimed this was originally about he invaded the whole country and has now disrupted and destabilized the world 1 million people have fled the country of ukraine this is going to bring about i mean i mean if you even survive this i mean the level of trauma that's going to come from having something like this happen it's it's catastrophic on top of that fact putin has placed his nuclear armaments on high alert and threatened that anyone who got involved would see consequences like they had never seen in their history. And just in case it's not clear what that means, Russia has enough nuclear weapons to destroy the entire planet, every inch of the planet, 10 times over. So there's a psychopath in the state of Russia, in the country of Russia, who has access to the largest supply of nuclear weapons in the world. And he's threatening that if anyone gets involved in Ukraine, that he won't be afraid to use it. That's what he says. So I appreciate the people who are all over the world, who are protesting what is going on in Ukraine, uh, especially those in Russia who are taking their lives into their own hands, protesting in that, in that country, uh, the government has been locking people up just for protesting, including children. I mean, in the past, Putin's jailed people for years for protesting. Uh, they, I, I just, I, I feel for these people, but just level of bravery to, to go out and protest in a city like Moscow, knowing what might happen. That's absolutely incredible. For all of us in the rest of the world, just keep using your voice. Um, Just keep talking about this the way we should be talking about all these atrocities. Again, any country who's feeling, not feeling, but who is being invaded, they need to know that they have the support of the people around the world. I think that is how you'll keep your, your own government in line to keep the pressure on them to do something, because what we really should do as a nation, honestly, it's really hard to say. I mean, getting involved militarily should absolutely be off the table. Because no one wants to start World War III with a person like Putin, who might not be afraid to actually launch a nuclear strike. Because again, he's crazy. So, I'm not sure what's next. But you know, I, I'll just say this: you know, we should really be, you know, like again, using our voice to stand up for all of those who, you know, find themselves, you know, in this situation. Uh, Not just for Ukraine, but all nations that fall under the attack of imperialist regimes. I'll be doing my best to stay up to date with all this information as things go along. I'm going to have some links in the episode description uh, for organizations that people can donate to, uh, organizations that are bringing humanitarian aid or who are trying to do their best to get supplies into the country of Ukraine. If you are interested in any of those things, go into the episode description now and check those out. Again, if you liked this episode, please share it on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at independent thought. Please go ahead and tag me in this. And thank you so much for listening to this episode. Russia invades Ukraine. Uh the next episode will be my finale for season 4. Have a little bit of a personal touch at the end of that episode. Thank you so much for listening to this one.